back to another episode of So What Are We Watching? My name's Andrew. I'm Jay Pollitt. Today's episode is another themed episode, which we'll get to that later on. But It's our ninth episode. It's our first part. Yeah, ninth episode. Um, we're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, it'll be episode 10 soon. Yay, milestone. Um, but, you know, enough of that. Uh we're on to our first bit, which is a bit of a weird one for our first bit because Jordan hasn't actually watched anything. Have you, Jordan? Uh, I have been extremely busy with other things, which uh, we'll have more on that at some point soon. But yeah, um, we... Uh, so instead of doing one film for Andrew, one film for me, we're going to be doing just two films for Andrew because Andrew's seen so many films over the last month that we've been kind of absent um so yeah i mean i guess i'll start that by asking uh andrew what are one of the films that you've been watching uh one of the films that i have watched uh in the past month is jordan peele's nope uh which is his third directorial debut to the silver screen which you know it's also his third horror film or sci-fi horror film it stars uh return actor uh daniel kalua Kiki Palmer, uh, Stephen Yuan, and kind of a special appearance, Keith David, uh, you know, horror legend. Um, yeah, this film, I kind of didn't go in with like high expectations, kind of go, went in with, not even high, I just went in with like hope in that, that there'd be some sort of good twist, some sort of like good storytelling and, you know, that general, like, Jordan Peele effect. And this film is, like, it's it's close enough to being a masterpiece. Like, it's it's such a great Jordan Peele film. Like, this is the third film, and it's not it's not bad at all. Like, it's, it's amazing. And it's, like, it's surprising. One thing I've heard is it's, like, Jordan Peele doesn't have any bad films, right? That is true. He does not have a bad film. Um... And this kind of solidifies that, you know, free free films, none of them are bad. I've heard people complain about this film, but the general scores anyway, like, are quite high. Like, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, IMDb, uh, like, is that like a 7? It's not a 10 out of 10, but I, I think it should be in a 10 out of 10 because it, it's quite different compared to how he did us and get out like they were they were both human focused films they were both you know like about one, one of them was about you know like uh, a bunch of racist um white rich people that wanted to swap their brains into the bodies of uh young black people and the other one was about uh doppelgangers but still the human element this one is about. I'm trying to be careful what I say here. I want to say. Spectacle. Because I would say alien, or I would say UFO, or UAP, which is also mentioned in this film, which I have no idea why UAP is. But. I feel like it gave too much away as to the kind of reveal in this film. 
the kind of like uh the the peel moment as i like to call it the uh, both get out and uh others had that peel moment where it's just like you know you realize like ah what's actually happened like and it makes a lot more sense and this one made the film a lot more terrifying when it when it appeared um the the craft thing the 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 uap ufo whatever you want to call it in this film and the 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 as the uh called the visitors in this film uh are not quite what they seem um the ending too is very interesting it's a very bizarre yet beautiful kind of ending to the film um yeah, there's not too much I can really disclose. I don't want to spoil it because it's, it's a film that people should actually watch and kind of, you know, see with their own eyes. So is the general plot hard to explain then? Without spoiling? The, gen- the general plot is like two siblings that are kind of on this like uh, Hollywood horse f- farm, which is like the only black-owned uh, Hollywood horse farm. You know, they use for like movies, like stunts and all that etc etc yeah they're apparently the descendant of um a a black jockey on a a horse which i don't know if you ever had saw it but back i want to say maybe like late 1800s maybe early 19 they would have had like those black and white like uh pictogram things which is like um a white like yeah there'll be like an old movie thing which is just like a short clip of like a, a man on a horse riding it and just loops they're apparently the descendant of this person and they've been doing hollywood horses ever since um and after the mysterious death of their father who is keith david who is the was the current owner of the farm they want to kind of find out like exactly what killed him and they kind of realize that there's something that's been like hovering above the house, like around the area, and they want to kind of capture it on camera. They want to capture this spectacle on camera. Um, okay. And yeah, they, they 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 put together. They get some cameras. They find the guy who actually um, does like film recorders and all that, but on like not like digital film, like actual film, like you know something that can't be manipulated. So it's actually real. Um, That's all I can really say. Because the rest of it then starts to spoil it. Because that's kind of like the first first half of the film, or at least the first third. Then the two other bits, slow realisation, and then, ah. I mean, the description for the film on letterbox is incredibly obscure it says residents in a lonely gulch of inland california bear witness to an uncanny chilling discovery that is like such a generic plot like clearly there's a lot of stuff within it which is they're just trying to get rid of spoilers and stuff within the actual synopsis it's quite Um, biblical in a way too like there's um it opens with a biblical quote, actually. Um, 
Nahum, Nahum, don't know how to say his name, uh, 3-6, I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. This I can say, the whole theme of the film is about spectacle. Now, this is up to your interpretation, but like spectacle of like the Hollywood industry, like they're trying to capture the next spectacle, trying to capture the impossible, um, trying to capture a miracle, or as uh, Daniel's character in the trailer, OJ, kind of says, like bad miracle. And the whole thing with spectacle is like, you know, like the things that. You don't want to believe are real and they want to capture it on camera and they want to capture like proof of it because you know everything's like fake nowadays and it's like they, they want something new they want something real uh real yeah and i i kind of like it too because like like i said like um peel's movies have like messages with them and I was wondering, like, what sort of message would this be? Would this be like, you know, oh, uh, aliens come to visit humans, blah, blah. But it's not, the message is nothing to do about the alien, like, or UFO or whatever. Um, it's to do about, like, the ho Hollywood's industry of, like, you know, trying to capture spectacles. And I kind of like that. So it's got sort uh, of a very meta meaning behind it, then. Yeah. So, I mean, this is going to be a stupid question. So, do you like this film? Yes or nope? I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. I want to go see it again, actually. Um, I'm going to be sure to give it a watch once honest, I'm back in Manchester. I'll be honest. Um, there isn't much else in the cinema to be watch watching currently until everything comes out later on. So, I might just go re-watch this until another film comes out. But something else I did want to mention, actually, is the inspiration of this film. Now, this is going to be a little bit of a weird one, because obviously there's inspirations like Signs, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Then you get stuff like uh, King Kong and Jurassic Park and Jaws, and you think, what exactly does that mean for this film? And, but when once you watch the film, you understand where you get those references from. And this is also, you know, it reminds me a little bit of like Event Horizon, Simply because of the whole like ship thing out of nowhere and you know revealing the truth about it. Um, so you're dropping all these little hints. It also reminds me of the film. It reminds me a bit like Jaws too. That's what I want to say, and that's I'm gonna leave out of that without saying too much. Um, the one thing I like because obviously I haven't seen the film, but uh, I saw this trailer a lot while I was back in the cinema um, just before the summer. And uh, I just love how the trailers, like, it, they just had, like, people being like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, all throughout it. And then it just ends. It's like, nope. Yeah. No. Um, something I actually do find interesting, too, which I, linking back to the spectacle stuff, um, Jordan Peele, when he was writing scripts, he said he was a little bit worried at the time about the future of cinema because, you know, like... You you know what's happened with the future of cinema now? Like a lot of people have kind of moved into streaming platforms, and so what John and Pew wanted to do was to create a spectacle, something that like has to be seen in cinemas. Yes, exactly. He wanted to create something that the audience would have to come and see. They would have to, you know, go to the cinema and watch it, and not just sit at home. They'd have to see it on the big screen. It's just, it is just so much better going to the cinema to watch a film, and I think. 
what you've described there is basically uh, the epitome of that. It's definitely a film you have to see on the big screen for the first time. It was definitely a better experience watching it in the cinema rather than just watched it, you know, at home or on DVD or straight to demand. And that's, you know, it, it, it does what it says on the tin. It's a spectacle. So, and that's all I'm going to really say about it. But I really liked it. I, I recommend it to everybody. If you like Jordan Peele. I will be watching this as soon as I can. It's very different to the first two films. So, you know, it's not political, but it is meta but it and it also does have its message about like the hollywood industry so it, you know but watch it Nita. so yeah i mean i'll definitely be watching this once i'm back in manchester and i'm able to go to the cinema again but yeah so we've heard about nope which is your first film obviously you've got another film which you want to talk to us about and uh yeah what what is that film so the second film, which this you know this has become quite a trend now, and it's going to become a trend later on in the episode, um, a horror trend, is Orphan First Kill, which is the prequel to the 2009 film Orphan, which I don't know if you've ever watched Orphan or heard about Orphan at least. So the main premise of, of Orphan is basically like a family kind of adopts um, a little girl called Esther, Who's um, from Estonia? Has like an Estonia accent, um, and they find that this like orphanage, which is like a, a Christian orphanage, but when she when when she comes to their home, they kind of notice like a lot of strange things uh, about Esther um, that she's causing a lot of trouble and all that, and a few people are kind of killed, and you know it's like oh god. The main twist about orphan. Is uh kind of like during like the uh the climax of the film, uh the mother kind of finds out that Esther uh came from an asylum in Estonia and that she's actually a thirty year old woman who has like a, a genetic disorder that makes her look like uh a ten year old basically. This reminds um, me of Child's Play. So, yeah, it it's kind of like Child's Play in a way. But and, and you know she's she's actually this uh thirty year old Estonian woman, um who has who who wears false teeth and all that too, um because she's got like really like you know thingy like dirty teeth. She's got scars from uh the restraints from the asylum on her wrists and neck and all that, and she essentially tries to end up killing the rest of the family. But you know she didn't ha- that doesn't happen. Often First Kill is basically the prequel, or not exactly origin of the character exactly, but it kind of... But it takes place beforehand. Yeah. I'm not so sure how many years, but I, I know that it's the origin of where she gets the name Esther, because she wasn't, she isn't actually called Esther, she's called Lena, uh, because Esther is a name she took on. But what Orphan First Kill basically does is basically kind of creates a story as to like where she got the name Esther and where she was before she got to the orphanage. And this isn't the first time uh, she was in a family um, in an orphan because in Orphan First Kill, she actually kind of, uh, she 
She takes the identity of someone's missing daughter, hence where she gets the name Esther from, um, and gets taken in by the family who thought she was lost for like ages. Um, and they cast. It's it's basically like you know, it's quite similar to the first film, but it has its twists. And there was definitely like a twist, like oh okay, which is you know you kind of end up rooting for Esther in this or Lena, rather than hoping she gets killed. But um... so if you're a fan of the original of Orphan, then you'll be a fan of this. Yeah, yeah. it's this is this is the weird bit because they they have they got the original actor. Um, who played Esther in the first one? He probably would have been like you know, uh, like ten, eleven at the time. I think she she's just like mid twenties, thirties now. Um, Isabel but... Furman. Yeah. Is that you say her name? Yep, Isabel Furman. Um, they basically use a few different techniques, basically, to make her look younger. Like, so they use like you know, forced perspective. They use a bit of CGI. They use a bit of makeup. Some of it at times in the film isn't the best or not not best but you know they could have done it a little bit better because we've seen like de-aging like stuff before or at least makeup but then again you've got to bear in mind orphan was made in 2009 so the technology for like de-aging all that probably wasn't as great and then when you're watching orphan first kill you gotta remember this is supposed to be someone who has like a genetic defect they're supposed to be like a 30 year old woman who who appears like a child, so then again it's just like, ah, well you know what? It kind of works and it makes sense. Like, yeah, sure, it could be done a little bit better, but I like the fact that they brought the original actor back, and, you know, she still has the creepy mannerisms, and they still managed to, you know, it's, it's she still manages to be Esther, and I believe she was Esther, and I believe she was, you know, the same character we saw, even if she was a little bit older, um, and her facial bones have changed a little bit because of growth, but it feels quite like an early two thousand movie too, just because of the way it's shot, um, and some of the the filters and all that used. Some of it gets a little bit too much at times. Like there's a quite like a misty filter on at the beginning, which I thought was someone for something wrong with the projector, but it is just literally just how they just shot it. Well, one thing I will mention, you did just mention like the CGI maybe being a little bit shoddy and um, certain ways they might have shot it. Uh, do keep in mind, this film had a $20 million budget, which might sound like a lot, but in terms of budgets within the film industry, it's really, like, it's barely anything. Yeah, because this is just supposed to be a slasher. It's not, you know, it's supposed to be, like, thingy-heavy. kind of relies more on the um, the fact that Esther's supposed to be, you know, a little girl, which is actually 30, but, um, the kills in this, you know, yeah, quite satisfying. I mean, uh, I would have thought there'd be more kills in this. It is kind of a little bit misleading to say first kill, because this isn't the first time she's killed, but I, I get why they, you know, did it. Uh, it's because it's Esther's first kill, like her first, you know, name of killing people. Right. Um, but there's two parts to this basically. The first half is like Esther's history, all these part of it, and then the second half kind of takes like a like nope, uh, an unexpected turn, 
um and and kind which of which part would you say you know, is better uh i want to say like the first half the second half was a little rushed i guess considering this is a okay. short film too actually but i enjoyed it how long was it i'm not overly sure it might have been like oh uh 99 minutes 99 yeah uh, it's not as shocking as the first film, but it's good and it's equally as entertaining. So you know, I'd watch it again. But the first film, you know, is 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 always gonna be the better one in my heart. But um, yeah, I quite liked it and quite enjoyed it. So how would you compare this film to Nope? Well, nope and often first kill are like two very completely different films like one's sci-fi horror and uh one's just a slasher about you know a mentally unstable person pretend to be a child so which do you prefer uh nope i prefer nope um often first kill was great but i'm gonna have to go with nope in this it was just that good yeah Orphan First Kill sounds interesting as well. I think I'll have to watch the original before I watch this. Um, I'm trying to think where the best place to watch the original actually would be. Because I don't think it's on Netflix. It used to be. Uh, it might be on Disney+. Plus. I am honestly not too sure. But something you'll have to look into. So is that everything about the first two films? Yeah, that is everything about the first two films. Um, so that kind of leads us into our second act if you would like to take it away joel yeah so um we didn't actually introduce what we're doing this week so even though you can probably already tell by like the title uh this week it's kind of like a sequel to what we did a couple episodes back uh where we did best of the 80s this time fittingly enough it's episode nine as well we're doing best of the 90s um so same format basically We've both chosen two films we'd like to talk about from the 90s. And uh, yeah, Andrew, we'll start with you. So what is your first pick for films from the 90s? So my first pick uh, for the films from the 90s is a film I already just mentioned, actually, in the first uh, bit, is Event Horizon, uh, 1997. Uh, Paul W.S. Anderson film uh, is... Essentially, um, you mentioned a haunted house in space. That's like kind of like the theme of this film, and um, yeah, it's it's got actors like Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Neill, um, Sean Pertwee, John Pertwee's son, uh, which you'll appreciate, um, Richard T. Jones. Who the hell's Theresa May? What? Some somebody is in the sorry. I, I to to whoever this is. I'm sorry that you had that name. Uh, somebody called Theresa May was in the film, uncredited, but they're in the uh, film. Well, I don't know. Um, there's Kathleen Quinlan. There's Jolie Richardson, Jack Noseworthy, Jason Isaacs. Uh, everybody knows Jason Isaacs. If you don't, you know, just very uncultured. Uh, Peter Marinka, Holly Chan, Noah Huntley, Emily Booth, Gary Senior, and a lot of people basically. It's an interesting horror film. 
which also it didn't receive this is this is what the thing with a lot of these older horror films they don't receive a great reception at the time and i remember this film didn't do so well at the time but it's become a cult classic over the years and people are in love with it um it does. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I haven't actually seen this film yet. I'm going to watch it at some point soon. Um, but it does very much look like one of those like cult sci-fi films. Yeah, it's very, very cool. There's probably a few reasons actually why it didn't do good. Uh, one of them, or maybe it could have done better, which is originally this film should have been longer. The original runtime was 130 minutes, but Anderson had to kind of cut out um thirty minutes but of the film, ten minutes of that was like um apparently too gory, um. No, because I feel like the real shock factor in this film is its use of gore because it doesn't use it too much, especially if they cut like large parts of it out. But it's because when it, you know, comes onto the screen. It's for the time very very disturbing. Like um, there's a scene in this actually where uh, one of the characters has been like showing like depictions of um, what they kind of interpret as hell, um, and it's just like very quick cuts to like uh, an alternate reality where all the other. Uh, crew members in this reality are kind of like all like um tied to structures with barbed wire and all that and it's like guts and that everywhere and maggots and it's very intense um for a very very like quick like few seconds um which apparently there's a lot more of that somewhere and um apparently it was too poor to actually use so they can't actually you know you release it so it was never really released um the main can i be honest about something yeah the poster for this film looks like the polar express yeah it's not it's not exactly what you think it's as soon as i saw it i was um, like wait i don't remember that film being called event horizon like it looks like you know where the train's coming in uh, but it says it's like a spaceship or something yeah there's definitely a lot of different influences from uh, Taken, uh, especially Hellraiser, which I actually mentioned uh, last time. Um, because the yeah, in the eighties episode, because there's um, there's a machine in this basically, which is kind of like the center of the Event Horizon, which is actually the name of the spaceship that you go on. It's called Event Horizon. It literally gets like name dropped in the first. Uh, ten minutes by like Sam Neill, just like yeah, the event horizon disappeared. I'm like, I'm just like, uh, the um, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme. I'm just like, oh, point at the screen. He said it. He said it. Yeah. Um, but there's basically a machine in this, which is called like um, it's it's a gateway machine, and it basically uh allows the ship to kind of travel through different realities, like different dimensions. It kind of bends spent uh space and. Uh, they can basically like poke a hole through like space and kind of travel through it and then unbend space. That's kind of how he explains it. Um, it's like tra- traveling between space and then coming out the other side. 
basically where this ship had been for like so many years is in that other reality, uh, which is the hell reality. Um, and that's kind of further like, kind of like emphasized by the fact that the gateway machine in this kind of it has like these like rings around it kind of like that rotate around each other and it kind of reminds me which uh anderson kind of confirms itself as of, of the the puzzle box from hellraiser the cube the mount configuration and i kind of like that because when it opens up like everything goes south it's like as soon as, as soon as that gate thing opens up in the film everything just completely just goes uh tipsy turn it does feel like a very like late 80s like into 90s trope with a lot of these types of films yeah i do know anything like the visions of hell and all that uh there's, there's a part actually which is like from one of the the logs on the ship which is like the first real shocker uh was apparently inspired by 16th century renaissance patents um which uh, anderson kind of saw he was in the gallery uh so he kind of wanted to integrate that into his film which you know well okay. done if there was a longer version of this this film would probably be absolute nightmare fuel um still sticks to me today actually just just how yeesh i like gory things but bloody hell yeah um, it can be i mean from what you've described it sounds very it's, like, it's very, very intense very like like um, if you were just to watch like that clip and you you'd be puzzling because of how how it's done, um. But you know, Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne are, are absolutely great in this. Uh, I love Sam Neill. Anyway. I think he's like the first person you mentioned when I spoke about Jurassic World. Um, it's kind of funny too because Sam Neill kind of has like this obs- uh, his character in this film ends up getting like a uh, obsession with the ship and like where it's been, just like you know. Uh, because he basically created the device in uh, the ship, and it's just like, and then when they're, they all want to try leave, like into the climax, it's just like, no, you're not leaving. I want to stay with the ship. You know, I want to, <laughs> I want to be uh, an idiot about it, and it's like, ah, look at me, I've, I've betrayed you all, and I've become like a demon. Um, so scary, scary stuff, scary stuff. To be fair, considering this is a guy who did Resident Evil. This is probably one of his better films. Yeah, I mean, when you um, told me that you were going into this film, I had a look at um, Paul W.S. Anderson, like his kind of portfolio, and I was like, oh, God, like, really? <laughs> uh, but I've heard that, like, I've like I've seen people say on Letterboxd, like, they refuse to believe that he's directed any other film. He did this film and no other films. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really weird. Like, he's the same guy... Who did Alien vs. Predator, Resident Evil, and Monster Hunter? Yeah, this is probably like the be- his best film out of all. Do you movies. like the other films? Uh, not really. <laughs> well, some directors are just a one-hit wonder. I mean, Re- Resident Evil are. are you know, fun, stupid films, but they're really nothing to do with Resident Evil. And the only reason, this is the other thing, the lead actress for those films is his wife. So, <laughs> so you know, it, it was basically just like a bias of just like, yeah, no, we won't follow the Resident Evil lore. I just want to show off how badass my wife is. Um, it's, it's really, it's really funny, but 
you know, I feel like he could just do another film like uh, Event Horizon, and that would be good. Maybe don't da- like cast his wife in it. Um, yeah, I don't remember if Mortal Kombat was any good or not. I mean, to be fair, it was nineteen ninety five, but. I doubt it well, back to what you were saying just a moment ago about casting his wife, it reminds me of the uh, the Godfather trilogy, where the third film, which is actually a 90s film, uh, Francis Ford Coppola um, cast his daughter in one of the lead roles, and she was just awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His, his wife's not a best actor. It's just the fact that the scripts of these films are just rubbish. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I I can't, I still can't believe this is the same guy. Um, you know, if I feel like he'd probably do better if he did another sci-fi horror. Maybe keep him away from anything to do with Resident Evil or um, Alien vs Predator because that was a bit. Eh. Wasn't it wasn't exactly great. I mean, people wanted it for ages, but it didn't turn out the right way. But you know, Event Horizon, absolute classic film, cult classic. Um, definitely something I can just rewatch. Um, you know, the story itself, the the lead up to it. Um, some of the crew members slowly just go mad. Them having like a limited time to get kind of get off the ship before oxygen runs out. Then Sam Neill's character is messing it all up and saying nope, and then just destroying the ship. It's just like yeah, no, you're stuck in the ship now. So it's like you know you're trapped in here with a spooky ship. Um, so even even in space, you know you can't get away from haunted houses because you know um, haunted ship, basically. But yeah. I'd rate it like a 7.58 out of 10. It was great. But that's one of my picks. What about you? What is one of your picks for the 90s? I I did actually have struggle thinking of this because I love so many films of the 90s. Um, and what I have chosen, I wasn't originally going to choose because I have spoken about it before. But... Uh, yeah, the other thing is, like, there's a huge selection of Jim Carrey films, which I could have chosen, but we've already done an episode on him, so that didn't seem fair. Um, but yeah, I figured this is an opportunity to go into more detail on one of my favourite films ever, uh, which is The Lion King. Ooh, Lion King. I love how this episode has basically started off as a uh, horror, and now we're on Disney section. I, I, you may notice that Andrew's other pick may also be... Um, not exactly appropriate for children. Shocker. Um, but no, The Lion King. Lion King's for all ages. I watch yeah. it now. I um, love how we're completely two different people. Disney horror. You know. Should have made a horror Disney podcast. Horror. Oh yeah, Disney horror. Yeah, we'll get onto that later. Because... Um, oh yeah. Because it's a Disney uh, let's character. Let's just push that aside for a moment. <laughs> Um, so anyway, yeah, so Lion King, amazing film, absolutely wonderful. Uh, what can I not say about it, honestly? You've got everything from Matthew Broderick to James Earl Jones to Jeremy Irons and even Rowan Atkinson. I don't know why I'm... Yeah, they're, they're the selling points of the film. Um, 
no, I mean, it's just brilliant, you know. It's got all the... All the things that I personally look for in a film. You know, it's sad, it's funny, it's heartwarming. It, it, like, by the end of it, you feel stuff. Like, you don't particularly feel sad. You feel like you have been... Because the film's only, like, between 80 and 90 minutes, but you feel like you've genuinely been engrossed and along this journey with the lead character from start to finish. And it, it's it's an experience, honestly. I, I quite like The Lion King. I haven't watched it, though, in, like, God knows how long. Maybe, like, a decade. Like, I don't really watch the old Disney films as much now. It's more like the newest stuff. I don't know why. I mean, I, I like watching old things. It's just I, I haven't really had a chance to watch I'm the same, old, but um... Lion King's the exception. I feel like the oldest thing that I've kind of watched that would have been like an animated thing uh, for Disney the last last time I watched anything would have been the Ratatouille but I mean that's always a film I like coming back to because you know for its time um, absolute masterpiece but that was 15 years ago yeah bloody hell no, when I say like oldest film I mean like you know like uh, when was like when it was made like, but uh, it's like the last Disney film I've seen that's like the oldest out of the films I've seen. It's definitely um, if you can get your hands on Lion King again at some point, I you need to watch it. It's brilliant and it holds up so well when you're older. I had it on VHS. There you go. I, I had the Lion King on VHS. There's no excuses, Andrew. Go watch. Literally, just go and put the Lion King on right now while we're doing the podcast. No, because I don't have a no VHS issues. player. Also, we'll probably get uh, sued for audio it is disney but yeah i mean so i'll ask you andrew what do you remember of this film from like 10 years ago uh i mean most things to be fair you know um whatever is not gonna get me um in trouble with disney if i mention on here the songs the betrayal and sadness uh yeah it's very it's very sad and depressing you know quite gripping Wow, for a film you haven't seen in a long time, it seems like it really did hit you hard. Yeah, no, 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 no. It it was one of those films that actually makes you makes you cry, and then you actually look watch yeah. it again, it makes you cry again. I watch it now, and I wonder how I watched this as a child because even though it is like marketed for kids, there's parts in it that are just so dark, and it's like I can't imagine like like if I put that on for like one of my little cousins who are like only barely talking, they, they'd be traumatised. Um, how was I not traumatised by this film as a child? Did I just not pay well, attention to it? Well, I feel like it, it? Hand it, it handles it because, you know, it's like about the animal kingdom. It's kind of like teach you about the, like, the circle of life and death. You know, it's like it's kind of like, even as a kid's film, it's a bit mature in its messages because, you know, like, it shows like uh, the natural order of things about predators and prey and like hierarchy and ruling in a way that children can kind of digest and also adults can understand. And I kind of like that, you know, it's 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 an important message in the film that it's like an important turn point that keeps the story uh, going on. But, you know, it's, with the dark stuff and the kind of scary bits, especially the um, scar on the hyenas and all that, like those, that's like yeah, nightmare. I'm thinking more just kids. um I mean this film's been out for like nearly thirty years now, so I don't know why I'm trying to avoid spoilers, but the death scene. We'll just put it at that. The death scene is very Yeah, that is it's quite an emotional one. 
Like, I've seen videos online, like, on TikTok and stuff of people, like, their kids reacting to The Lion King for the first time, and they always just, like, look dead inside when that scene comes on, and it's, like, it's powerful. Like, um, there's some things I watched as a kid that I'm into now. Uh, Doctor Who, obviously, is one of them. Um, but one thing I've found with, like, Doctor Who is I... I just didn't really understand it as a child. Like, I think I just saw, like, oh, aliens and bad guys and stuff being defeated by this man in a time machine that looks like a blue box. Um, whereas Lion King, I, I, don't, I don't remember what I remember from it as a child. Um, I think my earliest ever memory of a Lion King is, like, the opening scene when they're... Not the opening scene, but, like, the first scene after we see... The title card where it says the Lion King where there's Simba and Mufasa and everyone in the caves. But yeah, I mean, it holds up extremely well. If you have not watched this film since you were a child, I absolutely recommend, no matter who you are, give it a go. Even if you don't like it. Um, just because it's, it, it's not even a, it's, it's not a kid's film, it's a family film. I, that's what I'd say. Well, stepping away from uh, the family-friendly stuff. Uh... <laughs> if anybody's... Uh, well, I was going to say that like it's a radio show then. If anybody's just been listening to this part specifically, maybe just skip over <laughs> the next part. Um, if you're like y- at a younger age. Um... Yeah, because we're going from, um, you know, uh, animals uh, singing about the circle of life and, uh, you know, animal kingsmen being all jolly and all that going from that to um one of horror's uh, most classic notorious um horror films which is uh Wes Craven's Scream uh yeah that took a very weird um turn we've gone from Lion King to basically a guy in a ghost face mask killing a bunch of people um a you guy, know. but you need to put like an asterisk after it says guy. Yeah. Um, there may or may not be more than one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you haven't heard of this film, you've been living in Z for Rock. I'm sorry. Um, Scream is. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, you've at least heard of it. Scream was kind of made to be like a little bit like a satire on. Um, all the other slasher films that came before it. So, you, you know, you had films like Nightmare on Elm Street, you had um, Friday the 13th, you had Texas Chainsaw Massacre and all that. Scream was basically the product of all these other films. It was um, basically like, you know, oh, uh, what if someone took their love for um, horror films basically t- too far? And that's exactly uh, Scream. Um, you know, a uh, bunch of murders in a, a small town, uh, and it becomes a who done it, a horror who done it, and then you find out who the killer is or killers at the end of the film, uh, and then you know, epic conclusion. And then this film kind of gets franchised a bit because there's like four other films after this. So, I've only seen the original. I haven't seen any of the stuff that's yeah, come out. Yeah, well, there's like um, there's um, four of films. The fifth film came out this year, but which is basically just called Scream. 
kind of like how Halloween uh, 2018, which is kind of called Halloween, which, you know, we'll get into another bit of Scream news, actually, later. Yeah, this this film stars uh, Neve Campbell, Connie Cox, uh, David Arguette, Skeet Ulrich, uh, Matthew Lillard, who a lot of you will probably know as uh, Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, because of course you will. Um, and voice actor Roger L. Jackson, who... I feel like I keep mentioning for the horror actually in quite a lot of episodes. I'm actually meeting uh Roger L. Jackson uh at Follow Love Horror to get a mask signed. Uh a twenty-fifth anniversary ghost face mask, which basically has like a shiny cowl on it. And we're gonna get signed by Roger L. Jackson because he's the voice actor for Ghostface. Um he has been through all out the horror films and I'm pretty sure he probably will be the uh, voice actor. Was he in the latest one? Yes, I believe so. Um, it's gonna be there both on the Saturday and Sunday doing autographs and photographs. I'm getting the mask signed next to him as well. There's gonna be a screen used um, Ghostface outfit um, from Scream Two, and I believe there's also another Ghostface mask or outfit from. Scream Five being sat next to him too, um. But this is kind of weird because he just he doesn't scream, but he also did Powerpuff Girls, um. So you know, quite yeah, kind kind of relates to this uh, episode how we've gone from horror to animation. Who's in regular show? Yeah, um. But yeah, I I absolutely love Scream. Scream's one of my favorite horror films. It's a horror film I probably wouldn't shut up about. I agree. It's one of my favorite horror films as well. Um I love I just love how meta it is. It's very it's 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 like you say, it's basically a big parody. It's like it's making fun of all the typical horror film tropes. And we actually did like a small little presentation on it last year for uni. Um talk about all like the final girl and the stuff. The other stuff. <laughs> I have quite a few friends that are kind of obsessed with this film. I'm not. I'm not surprised why because it is a really great film, um, and a lot of the history. As long as they're not taking it too far. Ah, uh, yeah. As long as they're not taking the, the like love for horror films too film. far. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, I get that. I, I I understood that reference. Uh. No, I mean I can understand why. I mean to be fair, um, another follow of horror thing. Matthew and Skeet were both at Follow of Horror last year too. I'm kicking myself I didn't get to talk to them or like get an autograph of them because they was they were there. Um, but hey, I'm meeting Roger L. Jackson, so I'll be happy. But I I do hope in the future I get to be meet Neve Campbell or Connie Cox. But the possibility of that, uh we'll we'll see. We'll see. There's so much stuff because like typically, as the audience may have picked up on i'm not a huge horror fan uh like i like horrors at times um but like th- this one like i don't know there's something about it that just like you love every moment of it um and i feel like even the first what is it like the first 10 15 minutes uh where it's kind of like a little prologue to the whole thing that is like that could work so well as like a short film the first like ten fifteen minutes with um uh, Drew Barrymore, uh, is you know one of the most iconic openings uh you're ever gonna see, 
Uh, and, you know, hence we got that uh, very iconic quote, what's your favorite scary movie? Um, you know, which I, I, I go around to people a lot saying that. Not in the voice. I can't do the voice. I wish I could. But, you know, I, I ask people what's their favorite. You should use, like, that TikTok thing. Uh, I, I could do, but, you know. Um... <laughs> well, I think they've actually deleted that now. Ah, that's, that's, that sucks. But, you know, that first... 10 15 minutes is uh quite intense but i kind of love rewatching that scene too because there's so many little things you can notice like especially with the mask um because they actually changed the mask when they were actually doing the films so originally um there was a mask kind of dubs the k and b mask which was like a little bit it was a bigger version of the ghost face mask like a little bit more cartoonish like not well, not cartoonish but um like the cheek sides of the mask were kind of put pushed in inwards and like the the mouth was a little bit more thinner but like elongated um but they kind of scrapped that and did another mask design but in the first like 10 minutes of the film like in uh, you can actually see in the reflection and some of the parts the kmb mask which they did not cut out and i kind of it's you know it's a little bit of a moving mistake, but I kind of like that you actually get to see what the mask would have looked like, and I kind of do like it. But even if it does look a little bit silly, but you know it's it's just something I like to kind of just notice. Um, it's like the goofiness kind of enhances the film, though I think. Yeah, like you kind um, of you rewatch this film too, and you see like Skeet uh, Skeet's character, um, Billy uh, Loomis, and kind of how he acts. And you should, you, to be fair. It's like, um, what? It's not a twist, but you know, like, uh, how they kind of reveal the colors at the end. It's like, you, too fair. Everybody knew that, uh, Billy was gonna be the killer anyway, just because of how he acted, how Ski acted. Because he, he acts like such a psychopath, like weirdo anyway. And then he obviously his fake death scene, and he comes back, but it's just like you know, um. But then when you actually rewatch and you actually look at Matthew's character, then you kind of understand like, like oh, because uh, he's he's put he's on in it too. He's the other killer, but you you rewatch and this is not as obvious, but it's it's you know you kind of notice it, um, you know his connection to Billy, but is not as obvious as uh, um, Neve Campbell in this great. Courtney Cox, great. Found annoying the first time round when I actually watched it, but you know that's just Courtney Cox. But absolutely love her. Uh, David's well, her character's not really. She's kind of written to be kind of not antagonistic, but like bordering that line. Yeah. Um. Until the a, end. Yeah, she com- She becomes a great character actually though throughout the series. Uh, as, as well as um, uh, Dewey um throughout the films which is i feel like that's what the sequels did they kind of emphasize on the characters a bit i love the kills in this they're not overly gory the over the top but you know i kind of like the creativity of them it's very suspenseful it's very suspenseful it's a a great whodunit um i love the how, how it's basically become like horror movie rules now like where the free rules are kind of like established in the film well to be fair i mean that's more to that's like more what it's making fun of because they are just big tropes within the it is a big um, trope a lot of films but the main rules are 
Uh, number one, you may not survive the movie if you have sex. So you can't have a sex in the movie. Uh, you may not survive the movie if you do drinks or drugs. So, you know, you can't drink. And number three, uh, num number three, what? Uh, number three, if you say, I'll be back, or I'll be right back, um, like you never, never run any successes, say, I'll be right back, because you won't be right back. You'll end up being killed. And that's all these things are kind of broken throughout the film. So you can you can imagine like you know if you did a imagine if you did like a drinking game with this film, you'd probably be like borderline drunk at the end of it because everybody just breaks rules. It's stupid. But it's a severely iconic film. Um, that's one of the best slash films I've watched, and yeah, I can rewatch any time. I like to watch it with with friends. I like to discuss it with with friends. Um, the only thing I don't like about Scream franchise was a Scream series that was kind of debuted on MTV because it had nothing to do with Scream. But you know that's that's quite aside the point from the actual film. So this film I'll probably give like an eight, eight point five, maybe like a nine. Um, quite high up there. It's eight out of ten for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, that's my um. Second one. Um, what's your second favorite uh scary movie? No, I'm joking. Uh, what's your second favorite um nineties film? Um, so I mean, I wouldn't say it's my second favorite. Um, because I I would say my second favorite is Truman Show, but we've spoken about but before. So what I've chosen here is um. A very another very iconic film, which uh, in some very messed up ways is kind of related to something you mentioned for the eighties films, uh, and it's Toy Story. Oh God's sake! Another Disney film. Uh, kids, I'm sorry if you've been listening to the episode. It's not my fault. Well, both films have lifelike toys, and they have uh, the main kid is called Andy. Um. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities between the two. I don't know. What similarities from what? Oh, uh, Chucky, Charles Play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Um, you know, except one of the toys was just wants to keep playing with Andy. The other one wants to murder him, or at least transfer his soul into the kid's body. But you know, um, yeah. Like White Lion King, Toy Story is just another iconic Disney film. Uh, yeah, the, the the animation, you know, it's the first entirely CGI film. When you, when you look when you watch all the media, you just have to kind of shut off your expectations for the visuals of computer generated stuff because they can still have great visuals. Uh, but obviously, technology was a lot limited back in nineteen ninety five, which it had been like what. 30 odd years now? No, 20. almost 30. I kind of I find it kind of funny actually in this film um, that it might. It's during like the, the first bit of the film where it's like Andy's birthday party um, where like all the other kids are basically just like duplicates of Andy, just reskinned and yeah. like re, like re <laughs> I mean, I get the limitations, but it's kind of funny just watching it back and just noticing, just like, oh my god, that's 
actually terrifying. Um, I always love the bit where they get like trapped in Sid's house and you see all these like really weird obscure toys, like especially the spider baby head that's walk out. Yeah. And it all seems like proper creepy. Oh, that, that traumatized me as a child. Yeah, and then and then you just realize like, oh, they're just misunderstood. They just want to help. And then it's just like, you know, like, oh, okay. So appearances are kind of deceiving. But um uh, I always want to know what happened to Sid actually after um you know Toy Story One because you never see him again. I mean, the, the, you've, I mean, it's been theorized you actually see him in Toy Story Three as a garbage man, uh, who kind of puts you know the the um, stuff with um, uh, Andy's toys on the trash bag into the garbage uh, truck. But I mean, I can see that because of his T-shirt. But uh, you know, I, I do want to know actually what happened to Andy. What Oh, not Andy, uh, Sid, and where he's disappeared to. But, who knows? Probably may, 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 maybe, the, maybe the toys. Yeah, maybe the toys got rid of him for good. Actually, uh, <laughs> you know, imagine that took a dark turn. Um, it's like just a whole swarm of toys just come up to him, and then like, it's the same shot, but then all the toys just move away, and there's just a skeleton of Sid. I'm so sorry to anybody that's younger watching this. To be honest, you probably shouldn't watching. Oh my god, it's been nine episodes and I'm still saying watch it. Um, listening to this. To be honest, you probably shouldn't be listening to this anyway. Um, I, I'm not sure if this podcast is appealing to. I feel really sorry for like, uh, Sid's toys. Actually, young children. I feel. I feel. I feel really sorry for Sid's toys. Uh, watching. Um, each of a toy being ripped apart and put into a different body like that. In reality, that's traumatizing. That's like you know, uh, like oh god, you, you helpless like toy. Because the toys are can't... essentially people. Yeah. Um, they're just like, they're also toys. Um, it's just like imagine that happening. Like, Toy Story is like a extreme body horror. It is weirdly enough. Uh, throughout the franchise, actually, it's it's very for a kids' film. I'd, I'd say this is probably actually a lot a little bit more dark than the Lion King. Like, yeah, I get that's got like themes of death and all that. Each Toy Story is very uh questionably dark in a sense. Um, especially Toy Story three. Actually, I feel like that's very very uh messed up premises especially the one of the scenes i actually found really sad but also like scary was the um the the trash fire scene where they're in like the junkyard and like they're all holding hands around that fire thing like why (laughs) why why put that in a kid's film it's just basically imagine and I'll put this as any of the Toy Story films. Imagine instead of them being these little CGI creatures where you've got Woody and Buzz and Mr. Potato Head and uh, just imagine them all as humans. Just like live action humans and everything that happens to the toys in this film is like... Or maybe don't imagine it. It depends on... If, if you've got a... If you've got a strong stomach for stuff like that, then sure. If you're twelve, uh, if you're ten maybe. years old, then don't imagine it. But 
yeah, it's yeah, just put, put, put it putting aside all the um not not so uh Disney stuff about Disney film. Uh, why exactly do you like Toy Story in, in like the simplest premises? It's nice. <laughs> it's a nice little film. Is it? Is it? <laughs> After yeah, we just it's, said it's, all it's that, it's a fun watch. Um, there's toys and they're real. Uh, it's about it's about friendship, really, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, friendship, companionship, trust. You know, all the messages you get taught as a kid. Um, especially that your toys are alive. Uh, no. Not not me as a little kid trying to, you know, catch my toys moving. But sadly, that never happened. Um, that didn't was, happen for you? No, I'm very disappointed. But... but yeah, I mean, like, so many great things. It's super iconic. Tom Hanks, Tim Allen. Um... Yeah, and uh, we we've kind of spoken about stuff related to Toy Story with the Lightyear like, film uh, coming out yeah. a few months ago, which was absolutely um, rubbish. It was all right. It, it wasn't. Was rubbish. It wasn't as special as the original. Uh, to be fair, I feel they could do better with like a Woody film instead. I've had to watch a Woody film actually, but get Tom Hanks to voice him. Uh, don't don't do another Lightyear and just recast. Like I don't get with that. I like the you know, um, I I kind of just like to ignore Lightyear as part of the Toy Story universe. I'm just like it doesn't really make make sense. So, but well, it, it's it's just a film within that universe, and like every universe, I'm, there's bound to be bad films here and there. <laughs> yeah, and that was apparently one in the Toy Story universe, but. Hmm. Uh, I wonder if they'll make any more Toy Story spin-offs that are not just film like 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 yeah. I wonder if they'll actually make like because Toy Story four was supposed to be like the last Toy Story, at least. Um, do I but... think they should? No, but if they do, um, I don't know because if they made like a Woody spin-off, they could make it a would prequel. have to be. Like uh, how Andy uh, got Woody. Wouldn't that just be sort of like Andy goes to a toy shop? <laughs> <laughs> bit of a boring plot for a film. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that. But it's like, it's you just... know, there's a, like a load of licensed stuff in there, though. Like Mr. Potato Head and the Slinky Dogs and stuff. Like, they're not things you would see. Is Bo Peep an original character? Well, Bo Pete is kind of based off, you know, Bo Pete. Um, like, so Bo Pete was a toy in real life. I don't know. Well, no, Bo Pete is kind of just. I don't know what Bo Pete was based off. Kind of like Mary had had a little lamb. I don't know. Because if she, if she if she's like an original character of the Toy Story, I could maybe see them making some sort of film about that. Again, I'd rather Pixar go for more original stories than leeching off of Toy Story. <laughs> For almost yeah. thirty years, the only Toy Story spinoff I'd want to see would be like Andy's college life, but it would maybe have to be rated a little bit older than like just for kids. I don't think see all do the that. college, see all the adult activities that, uh, that Andy's getting up to in college or whatever. Eey, I wonder. Um. 
No, I feel like they could. I'd watch a Woody's Roundup film. That would be good. But with the original voice actors. So. I I mean, it could be interesting, but I feel like, you know, we've already seen, like, a good number of that, like, in the in Toy Story 2. Uh, and I don't know if it would, like, take away from that impact. The other thing as well is, like, how much do we have to see until it's enough? Because, like, I like the idea that, like, we don't see a lot of these things, and it's up to our own interpretation. Until um, Disney ha- get fed up of having money, which is, you know, never gonna happen. Because the other thing as well was, like, with them making Lightyear as a film, I always had it in mind that, you know, Buzz Lightyear was basically, like, Luke Skywalker or something. Like, it basically, his story was the same as Star Wars. Like, they have all the Star Wars references in like Toy Story 2 and whatever. Um so yeah, I mean we'll see if it's another thing for the money making machine then who knows. Yeah. But that kind of brings us to the conclusion to this part of the episode. So we are now uh on at 3, the news round which no, not news round, just the, the news segment. You have a funny bit of news, actually, for us, don't you? That relates to last week's episode. Yeah, so uh, last week we reported that um, DC had reportedly found their Kevin Feige, quote-unquote, um, with Dan Lin, who is a producer slash director, I think, well known for like all those Lego films, and what else did he do? Uh, main mainly the Lego films. Uh, he did also help out on uh Godzilla vs Kong, um, yeah, Godzilla King of the Monsters, as well as some other bits and bobs from Warner Bros. Oh, the It reboots. Yep. But, uh, but basically, it has um, come out literally today that we're recording this, that he uh, he has decided he's no longer he's no longer in talks for the job, basically. So, um, what a shock I get everything we I said last why. week. Isn't it because um, um, the, they were trying to negotiate something and he was basically asking about how his, uh, his company, his like production thing was going to be like finance or something like that uh or how how his little uh, business was going to benefit i feel like that's what i read yeah it says um, it, it doesn't confirm whether that's the case or not but it says that it was most likely the factor that did kill the deal yeah which you know it's ironic because one was very stingy with their uh money so i'm not surprised but they no longer you know i've it's, noticed um <laughs> Dan, oh yeah, because that's another thing actually, which I might I might shove in here actually if you will let me, because uh, I know he's not being the Kevin Feige figure anymore. But there's also another thing which relates to last week's episode. DC Fandom twenty twenty two has been cancelled this year by Warner Bros Discovery. I did see something about that actually. Yeah. So. For those of you who don't know what fandom is, it's basically like an online virtual event, specifically for uh, DC, which was kind of started up during the pandemic as like a way to kind of announce like projects and that to fans. Uh, and they had it like every year onwards. 
And apparently it was supposed to be like a massive like lineup of like project announcements and all that, but obviously, you know, what's been happening with Warner Brothers is that a lot of things have been cancelled. And Fandom is one of those things that have been cancelled, which is getting a lot of people worried. Um because, you know, there's no news on what's happening because all people know is projects have been delayed and um yeah, it's it's not happened this year, folks. So uh Wonder Bros is really like like we said last year, think like more more things are coming out and it's not looking good at all. What I can say is that um you know Again, I'm in no way a DC fan. It's not exactly someone I was looking forward to, but I mean, I can understand like if they were gonna say they're gonna do it like this one last time because the pandemic is kind of calming down. Like we're able to go out and do things that we weren't able to do throughout the last two years. Um, but it's like you know if they've had it planned. Like, do you know when this was planned for? Uh, I believe it would have been like September, Octoberish time. I'm not overly too sure. Okay, so it's like, I would have, like, if that was me at the top doing, making those decisions, I'd decide, okay, let's go through and do this one more time, and then we will, you know, maybe say at the event, this will be the last one. Instead, like, yeah, I don't know, it's, like, I can see why they've decided not to do it in terms of, like, COVID and stuff, but it's the fact it's the fact that, like, it's, you know, they had things prepared for it. Why just, it's just, it's honestly just all a big, like, resemblance of what's been happening with Warner Brothers. It's very, very um, suspicious. Yeah. Oh, in um, other bits of news... Uh, something that is being continued on, uh, which we have spoken about, uh, um, a little bit earlier on, uh, is, is Scream Six. Um, it's been announced that that has officially wrapped filming. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, and from what I've seen, a lot of the people online didn't even know it had started. Uh, the U.S. um release date apparently is the end of March next year. Um, but it doesn't have a title yet. Um, yeah, I was just about to say that. There's um... Because people don't know what, what it's going to be called, because they don't know if they're going to do like a Halloween trilogy approach. Or they're gonna It'd be funny like... if they just did like Scream 6, and it's like, where's Scream 5? Yeah, because people don't know exactly what they're going to call it, but I feel like they'll just call it Scream 6, maybe. It's a weird analogy, but it could be something like with mario kart where the first six games were like named all these different things and we just have mario kart 7 casually yeah um but yeah that's at least that's something else being continued and i'm excited for that probably gonna watch it in 4d again i watched scream 5 in 4d so um i mean this kind of gives me a reason to watch the other scream films because like i said i really like the first one um and yeah i can watch the other films and then in preparation for this perhaps yeah yeah sounds good um another bit of horror news too which we've mentioned this before uh this this was like one of the og pieces of news that we ever gave in our first episode yeah um 
Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey has officially got a trailer, like a full trailer. And you know, it's funny because I remember in the first episode, you actually said you don't even know they've started filming it yet. Um, I think they have been filming it for a while. Yeah, so I'm assuming you've seen the trailer. I've seen the trailer. Um, so it does look a little bit cheap, uh, and it does look a little bit corny and cheesy. However, I'm still excited for it. I'm still excited to watch it because you know it's Winnie the Pooh as a horror movie like character. You're excited to get your childhood ruined. Yeah. Um, which it kind of does that in the, the trailer too because it introduces like Christopher Robin as a grown up who kind of rediscovers like uh, you know um Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore and all that. I've kind of told rat rabbit because I read the description of it and I knew it was about like Christopher Robin abandoning them, but I didn't realize he was actually going to be in the film. Um, I thought it was just like, oh, this is like a what if scenario, so we're not actually going to see him. But it seems like they're obviously they are out for blood and honey, but they're also out for uh, maybe Christopher Robin Possibly. himself. I just want to know why they decided to become murderous. Um... But yeah, we'll we'll have to see when that comes out. It's probably like through survival, like they've become like ravage, ravage, ravages, savages, something like that. Savages, they have become savages from being abandoned. That's most like that's most likely why it kind of uh kind of insinuates. That's, that's the impression in the I get. Yeah, that's kind of why it kind of shows in the trailer. But we'll see, we'll see. But yeah, is there any other news from you? Uh, yeah, so this is our last piece of news. Uh, we're going to end this on a super heartwarming note. Brendan Fraser has returned to the big screen with a film titled The Whale, which is directed by somebody. I'm just going to check this now. Uh, which is directed by Darren... Aronofsky, who is known for films such as uh, Black Swan, uh, Reckon for a Dream. Ooh, okay. And just all these other cool films. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, but basically the reason we're talking about this is because uh, I've did they screen? I think they screened it at a film festival. I can't remember which festival yeah. it was. They screened it at a Venice film festival, I believe. Yeah. And uh, um, after the film finished, there was a six-minute standing ovation, and uh, Brendan Fraser was in tears because it was. Uh, I'm I'm not too familiar with like the ins and outs of what's happened with him, but like from what I've. I take it that he's, um, from what you've said and stuff, that he's, like, struggled a lot, like, with his mental health recently. Yeah, he's... I know he's quite a bit of a conscious person, but I've seen, like, throughout the past few years that he has been starting to get, like, a lot of positivity from fans and celebs, like, because I hadn't heard his name in ages, and then, like, the first time I heard his name again was probably back in 2018, 2019, when he was casted as um, uh, Robot Man. Is it Robot Man? Robot Man. Robot Man. Robot Man. Petrol. 
yeah, when he was casted as Robert Mann for Doom Patrol, and I, I was like, whoa, I didn't realize what had happened with Brendan Fraser. And, you know, he's he's put on a little bit, and his kind of his mental health kind of deteriorated a little bit. But from there, like people kind of started like rediscovering Brendan Fraser, and it's just like, you know, oh my god, what happened to him? And then, you know, people absolutely love him. People wanted to come back to screen, and you know, for a major film, um, you know like this and all the positivity it's receiving uh you know it's, it's it's really it's really nice to see someone kind of like get back into like the cinema business after a long time um, are you gonna watch it yeah if i can watch it somewhere if it comes out in cinemas i'll definitely i, I be think watching. it is out now i'm not I, i'm not too sure i haven't cine, cine world is not exactly reliable for films um but you know i'll definitely definitely watch it uh i mean as somebody like i think you know it's it's just really to have all those people clapping you on for six minutes um i can definitely see why he got emotional i mean like i felt uh emotional in some ways when i was at pride like oh, well, last week because i was in the parade and you know everywhere just like this atmosphere everyone's like cheering you on just while you're walking through and like that felt special but like for you to be the pure person that everybody is congratulating and applauding must be like one of the best feelings in the world honestly brendan fraser on the off chance that you are listening to this <laughs> congratulations from us here at so what are we watching um it um and we're glad to see you back yeah uh, on that very positive uh, note, that kind of brings us to the end of this episode. So, uh, you know, you know what to do. Listen back to our previous episodes on our streaming platforms. Uh, let, let, let us know uh, what we should talk about in upcoming episodes uh, on our social media at So What Are We Watching? Or you can message us on our email at um, So What Are We Watching at gmail.com um make sure to listen to episode eight and yeah make sure you listen to next week's episode we have a pretty big episode coming up it's our 10th episode so it's going to be kind of like our what would you call it like a, a milestone it's not a decade special because it's been like three months but it's, a uh, milestone, yeah, it's our 10 but... it's our 10 episode milestone special so a lot of big surprises to come up uh we can't wait to share you with share you sorry uh, we can't wait to share them with you <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> Until next time, that is me and Jordan done for the day. So we will see you soon. So bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.